This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Okay, so this John the Apostle, let's start, of course, with who exactly was he, right? Um, um, different things that we are able to uh, see. I tried not to geek out too much, but it's something that you could also research on your own time to find out. And the reason why sometimes it's good to actually go and research about these people, by, by research I mean is go and find out what exactly was this person's name. If you know his name, his son name, where what was his state of origin, was his national identification number, was his everything you need to know. Research about it. You can just geek out. And let me tell you how that even strengthens your faith. And I'm encouraging you. And the reason why I'm encouraging some people is, um, I know all of you. Just like Jesus said, you know, I know you people. I know my children that are geeks and like to geek out on things like this. You know what I'm saying? UC Boss said something in the 90s. Another person had Tanisha said, I know the category. And then I know people that they're like, what am I using UC Boss for? You people should not let me hear what. But let me encourage you on why you should go and geek out on things like this. And you people have the capacity to geek out. Should I prove to you that you have the capacity to geek out? If I tell somebody that is sitting to this side to start reading the stats of uh, CR7 now, Cristiano Ronaldo, that's why I started telling me in 1984 when he was this thing and he kicked the So you people have the capacity. Whatever it is, you have the capacity to geek out. So of all the things you can geek out on, Go and make yourself geek out on things like this. And in particular, what am I asking you to geek out? Just go and research who exactly was um, John the Apostle. And the reason why it's important is it brings it home for you. If I start telling you that, okay, I won't tell you about Daniel. Like, imagine 500 years from today. Maybe the world will be living on the sky. Or who knows, they'll be living in huts. Depending on how mankind decides to... Go. You know, it's possible that there's world, one of your pastors that is not me, has a particular prediction that the world will still implode on itself. And it's not Pastor Sheetu. That particular pastor that likes pain and things like that. So it's possible that 500 from years from now, we're not in any skyscraper living in the sky. We're actually living in huts without electricity. We are starting from, we're starting from the scratch. But either way, wherever we find ourselves, imagine 500 years from now, someone sees one book, sees one diary, and the, the name of the diary is the Diary of Daniel that he wrote for his lover doing this thing. And they just read it like, ah, ah, wow, who was this Daniel? And they are now telling each other stories. One of the things that will make it come alive is if, for example, they are able to see somewhere where they see Daniel was one big-headed boy that was born on January 26, 1980, something, something. So when you read about these people, like finding out about them, one of the things it does is it's it doesn't make them seem so far away, like it is a an old wife's fable or a fairy tale. It doesn't make it seem like this is Thor, an Avengers type of story. You begin to understand that these people actually walked this same earth that we are walking. Do you understand? This is not any concoction of anybody. These are real human beings. Like the way you are sitting close to Sammy, this particular apostle sat like this with Jesus. Do you understand? So geek out. But who was John? James and John. John was the younger brother of James. 
right? Um, sons of thunder. <laughs> they were named by Jesus as sons of thunder, um, fishermen. So there are different people that will tell you that he, um, they seem to come from an affluential family because they are part of the scripture where it says that it makes reference to their fathers having um, servants. So they could already tell that when you start mentioning things like that, that means there was some form of affluence. Um, but, uh, and then the reason why we say he's the younger brother of James is the way they, t they always write the name. They will say James and John. And it's a custom to put the younger one after. Um, some people also try to track his age around the time when Jesus was on the earth um, based on when he died. And we're like, it's possible that he was still like even as young as 17, but we know that he was young, right? So um, just keep all of all these things so that you could paint a right picture. Um, he was also in the inner circle, right? What we call inner circle. So even amongst the 12, from different scriptures, we see that there's like an inner circle. Peter, James, and John, the three. Um, why we know that is even from, we can see from things like the transfiguration, we know that it was Peter, James, and John. The garden at Gethsemane, we know that it was Peter, James, and John. Um, and then Jesus sent Peter and John, I think it was even Peter, James, and John, to go and prepare um, the Last Supper and things like that. We also know that he was at the cross because it was there that Jesus told him that this is, told me this is your son and told him to take care of his mom. Um, so you can already tell that he was close. And even in the epistles, the only mention of him outside John, first John the Gospel and first to third John is in Galatians where Peter was, no, sorry, Paul referred to Peter, James and John as the pillars. Right, so we can see that there was something the three with, with those three Peter, James, and John, and they were also the pillars. Even when, um, in the book of John, um, I think this was the second or third time Jesus appeared after he resurrected, um, where they were catching fish, and then they met someone, they saw someone at the shore, and the person told them to cast their nets to the other side. And then immediately they cast their nets. They were able to pull in because they had been trying to catch fish all night and they weren't getting anything. And said, cast your net to the other side and they started pulling it out. The moment they pulled it and, and, and they found out that the fish was overwhelming, John was like, that's Jesus. He was the first person to actually say, that's Jesus. He was the first person to recognize him. So one of the things that we can see from his accounts is... And then the most interesting thing was in his whole accounts in the gospel, he never referred to himself as John, which first and foremost is something that makes sense. Because if you are writing something, you'll be referring to yourself in third person, right? But then at the same time, he always said the apostle uh, that Jesus loved. I'm like, ah. I said, well, I don't blame you, Sha. If me too, I had the opportunity to write my own gospel, God knows what I would call myself, the global missionary woman with fire and favor because i'm sure he didn't know that maybe he knew maybe he didn't know that we'll still be reading his um gospel to you today but it was such an interesting thing the fact that he always referred to himself as the one that jesus loved as if jesus did not love everybody but that was him and it's not like he's saying that jesus didn't love everyone else but he just always referred to himself as um the one that jesus loved and you could even tell from the 
um, underlying themes in his books. He was strong on the message of love, love, love. But make no mistake, as much as you're thinking of, oh, he was strong on the message of love, 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 you will now be thinking of one soft-hearted, calm apostle, love one another, love this. But Jesus called him and his brother sons of thunder. So I'm saying all these things so that you can begin to paint a picture of who this particular um, apostle was. Okay. But there, there, there are also um, some, what do I call it now, some thoughts on the fact that they said he was possibly also very close to Peter. Like they were quite close because you also see them mentioned together. So for example, in Acts of the Apostle, he was arrested with Peter. Um, right? So these are different things that we know about John. Now, as much as I'm saying all these things, all these beautiful things about him, there are also some other things about this particular Apostle John. He was also the one that wanted preferential treatment in heaven. Because he was asking Jesus that when we go, are you going to, am I also going, what was it that was asking, am I also going to sit at your right hand, right, when we get to heaven and things like that. He wanted preferential treatment, you could tell. Now, on what happened to him, so these are the things that we have been able to piece together, at least from the scripture. But you know that here we also believe in scholarship and studying other things. So there are other um, mentions of him, um, accounts of him outside what we see in scripture. And one of the accounts says that he was uh, a bishop in Ephesus, and that there are still traces to today of churches bearing his name, right? Um, so nothing further is known about him um, according to church tradition. But with many corroborating witnesses, um, they say he was a bishop at Ephesus, right? Um, we also know that um, he was exiled to the land, land of Patmos for a while, Right, where um, it is said that he wrote the um, book, book of Revelation as well. But I'm not really going to be touching about Revelation here. One of the reasons why some people argue against um, and say he wasn't the writer of Revelation is that when you see all the other books that were accorded to him and you read Revelation, the two, you know, two sound alike. So if you were to use his style of writing, his message, and things like that. But on the other hand, people will now say that this is the same person that God, Jesus called Son of Thunder. And another thing you could see consistent in the epistles and the gospel, he was very, he, he, he was very strong with presenting ideas in black and white. This thing I'm saying now, we'll talk about it later, because... <laughs> The book of John is full of different, I'm sure, I think Calvinists really like the book of John because it's full of different um, scriptures or verses that kind of, you, that people kind, to, kind of use for, um, to support election, right? But what we see from John is the fact that he was kind of big with black and white. 
You say if you do not love, God is not in you. He was big on good and evil. Things like that. So when you see how hard he always took a stance on things like that, that's another argument to say it's also possible that he actually did write Revelation because he was always very clear and direct when it comes to things like that. Another um, argument, although this is not such a strong argument on whether he wrote Revelation or not, is the fact that this is someone that was referred to as Sons of Thunder and you could tell from some, some of his speech and the way he talks, he was actually a very um, vocal person. So that's an argument, but like I said, I don't intend to get to Revelation um, in this uh, exposition that we're going to be doing on John. Because he was, to him, like people were either against the Lord or you were for the Lord. There was no gray area with John. You were either a child of God or you were a child of Satan, right? He was, he's, 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 he's strong like that in how we present his argument. Um, another thing again that we see about how he presents um, his letters is that it's simple yet so deep. Like, oh my God, I've always loved the Gospel of John. Because you can just stay on John 1, 1 to 4. It's a very simple thing, but yet so deep, so deep. So anybody can read the book of John. You don't need to put your head on the floor to read it. It's a very simple and easy to read um, gospel. Read it as many times as you want to do. But he was, he's also credited in passing across messages in very plain and direct manners. But yet those messages are always very deep. Right? But so like I said... Um, as we go through this, and as we are going, what will happen is there are some verses that will spend a little bit more time, and there are some verses that will run through. So there are, there are times where we might actually take four chapters in one service, and there are some times that we might just be able to go through four verses. Okay, so we'll move at different paces. But like I said, we're going to have a, a really good time. And... One thing that I wrote, again, as I was going through this book is, see, I need you people never to underestimate the message of Christ. I was having a conversation with Pisam last night, and we're still talking about this thing. Sometimes when you don't rate, when you don't esteem the gospel, when you don't esteem the message of Christ, you will find yourself in all manners of, heresy for lack of a better word because you are probably looking for more you are looking for something more esoteric you are looking for something more i don't know what word to use like visual you are looking for something see you need to esteem the message of christ because the message of jesus the gospel of christ that christ came to die for us is actually the source of our conviction it is not and i'm not saying that Again, because I was just encouraging people to make sure you go and do study on the person of John. I'm not saying you shouldn't go and read and go deep and things like that on the different things you do. But see, you people need to understand that the source of your conviction, the source of your faith, the source of light in your life is actually the message of Jesus. That is why there are people who do not have the intellectual capacity to understand all the philosophical writings of all the philosophical giants we've ever heard. But they hear the gospel and they are able to have saving faith. The message of Christ, that gospel, 
is very powerful. And I'm saying this to encourage you, if you ever find yourself where in a bid to look for more, let me put it this way. Sometimes be careful that the more you are looking for in terms of intellectual knowledge and everything is not that you are looking for newer words or newer phrases or newer, you know, technical ways to say what you are saying. That means what you are really looking for is not the message of Christ, but you are looking for um, a different vehicle to convey your and show people how intelligent a person you are. There's a thin line, but there's a line. You need to be sure that in going deeper, you are not looking for the out, outward reward of people saying, mm, you are so deep. You need, there's a thin line and you need to be very careful not to cross it. Again, I'm not saying you should not study because that was the first thing I started. You people need to study. But what I'm trying to say is that the message of Christ, the gospel of Christ, in its simple, purest form, has saving power. And you must never get bored of it. Don't look to add any kind of thing that will make it juicier, don't look to make it relevant. Don't look to make it sound more, what's the word, progressive. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. In its purest form, esteem it for what it is. Because I promise you that there is nothing else that can save a person aside the simple message of Christ. Right? And that's why it's a source of conviction and it's a source of building faith for us. One of the underlying themes that we see in John is that Jesus in some places points and tells men that, see, if men could have saved themselves, they would have. Even the law of Moses could not save them. The best it could do was show them and point them. It was types and shadows. But at the end of the day, what still saved man? It was Jesus coming. And no matter how good it sounds, no matter how pious it sounds, no matter how righteous, and by right, I'm putting righteous in quotes because what I even calling righteous, but let's pack that. No matter how righteous it sounds, if any message is no, does not involve Jesus in it, he cannot save you. I've heard people say things like, so are you saying if someone who is very good the person is altruistic, the person is um the person gives, the person is very nice. No matter how, no matter how I don't know what's good, or the person is no matter how good you are, if <laughs> if you don't know Christ, there's nothing for you. Because let me tell you now that the best of the best of the best of man is still darkness outside of Jesus. It's still darkness outside of Jesus. And so that is why when Jesus tells you, follow me, you have to follow him because in that simple message of follow me, get saved, that's, that's, that's what you need to transform your life. That's all you need. I'm saying this, never ever get to the point where you are seeing the gospel of Christ as, oh, I've, I've, I've conquered that one. I'm looking for deeper things. There's no deeper things again. Stay there and always esteem it in your mind. Amen?
Okay, so let's get into God's word. I'll see how much of John 1 we can take today. I feel like reading the whole chapter then coming back. So, But what I'll do is I'll read up to verse 14 and then come back. So John 1, reading from NIV. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was, go- he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. You can't but love John. You can't but love John. So let's go back. So let's do a little bit of time travel. Imagine living in a world like the world that John was living in, where, and that world was mixed, right? We want to always believe that the whole world believed there was one God. The whole world didn't always believe there was one God. In fact, till today, the whole world doesn't still believe that there was one God. But imagine a world where um, there wasn't Christianity. And the reason why I'm telling you to imagine a world where there wasn't Christianity is whether you like it or not, you don't know how much Christianity has shaped the way you think. You don't know how much Christianity has actually... Um, it's not as easy as you think to imagine a world without Christianity. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. But let's try, Sha. Let's just try. Let's try to imagine a world where there, were, there, was, there had never been a message of Christ. There had never been a message of... Um, there had never been a message of God coming to a world to die for it. Try, just try. Um, because we have the Bible, maybe in a sense we can imagine how it was to live under Judaism. So they knew the God of they knew the God of Isaac, Jacob, and Abraham. They knew the God of Moses. They had the law. And um, in case you want to think of what that world looks like, I invite you to go and read all the six hundred and thirty-one laws of Moses, and just begin to imagine what it was to live in that kind of context. And so, think in two shifts. Think like you were deep, you were an Israelite, you were a Jew, right? You were practicing Jew. And then think like you were a Gentile, a bloody Gentile, who probably had different gods. God for food, God for marriage, God for or whatever. Or you might not have even believed in anything. Just try and imagine and go back. And then someone comes and tells you something. And then the person now begins to tell you that, 
in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god such a way to introduce a gospel we take for granted because we already we already christians we already know these things but one reason why i like this is that whether you are someone living today or you are someone living in that context or you're someone living with the knowledge of there's a god or someone living with the knowledge of there's no god that's what i'm saying what john said was in very simple words but profoundly deep this beginning this introduction to his gospel answers so many questions it answers the question of um origin it answers the question of meaning it answers the question for a world looking for answers i don't know if you guys have ever asked yourself okay again that's what i'm saying some of you might not be able to relate because you've just always been a christian always had some meaning to life but imagine people just waking up one day and start finding themselves in this world and like what am i doing here how did i get here what? that's a little sprinkle of nihilism and things like what 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 is the purpose of this what am i doing and then you get to john one and you begin to dig deep to understand it john one answers so many questions so many questions and he starts by telling taking you to the very beginning not only did he take you to the very beginning he took you to the beginning before the beginning no that's not correct he took you to pre-beginning because there cannot be a beginning before a beginning so he took you to the beginning and the pre-beginning and then he tells you that in the beginning was the word in the beginning was the word and one of the funny things i realized that why didn't he say in the beginning was jesus why didn't he just say in the beginning was jesus it cannot be that his hand was spinning him or it cannot be that he was just trying to be poetic and lyrical he was trying to say something of all the ways to introduce jesus he said in the beginning was the word and we'll see it as we go through john there are many things he likened jesus to from Jesus's well in quoting Jesus where he would say I am the vine you are the branches I am the good shepherd I am the this he could have picked any of those things that Jesus said and likened himself but he chose this and he said in the beginning was the word and that word there is logos and by the time we begin to understand look deeper into that word right logos and Again, if you remember from last time I, I, I preached, there's... <laughs> so the funny thing was, when I was trying to do a research into this word, Logos, I saw some funny things. And he just reiterated something in my mind. I, I, I know, and I think I've said it here before. In reading scripture, right, you must always be careful not to do what we call stretch things. Right? In trying to look for deeper understanding, deeper revelation, don't take it further than it needs to be taken right so as much as i'm going through it's not that i'm not a fan of using greek words i am a fan i, I like to use it to go deep but don't now be taking it to just do like this before you find yourself inside the pit right so let's look a little bit deeper in the word locus i remember the guide i gave you when you're looking at things like greek words and things like make sure that you always stick to the context in which it was used now this word logos is a word that hitherto had always referred to word. Wait, it it's, it's, was an abstract word, which meant word. Other ways it was used was to refer to things like um, communication, 
or words like accounts. So when you see some translations say accounts, the actual word there is logos, or sometimes doctrine, right? Intention, it talks about reasoning, reckoning, right? Word, preaching. But some of the other things that we understand from that word logos, right, is it's not word, it's not just word as per words on a page, on a book, right? Because you know there's a way you can use words to mean that. It is depicting something that means an expression of your thoughts. So for you to express your thoughts, you know that there's an intelligence behind expressing a thought. So it's not just a thought, first and foremost, it's an intelligence that can even fathom a thought and then now express it. So that word logos, that's what it's going into. That's what it means, really. So it's like a formed idea that you now express. So that word logos. And for, of course, for you to express something, it is something living that can express a thought. No matter how beautiful this painting is, it cannot express a thought. It can elicit thoughts from you, but you will be the one expressing your own thoughts. But this painting cannot. So, of course, something living must express its thoughts. So, for you to say, that's, those are um, things around the word logos. Okay? So, it comes from a fully formed thought, which must have come from, which must have come from an intelligent person. Because you've thought it out and then you are now expressing it. Okay? So when he says in the beginning was the word, the question I started asking myself is of all the things, why word? Why word? And not anything else. If you understand all, this, all the things I just explained to you in understanding the meaning of the word logos, it's clear. There's no way to, again, stretch it more than it was. We can see that one of the significance of using the word to describe Jesus as an introduction to his gospel, is because Jesus came to reveal God. Jesus is God, and he came to express that thought. That is why he said, I am. Jesus is God, so he is the express image, and he came to express that. So I believe that that's what John was trying to communicate, where he said, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was an expressed thought. And that thought, that expressed thought, was God. Jesus is the express image of himself, of, of God, that came to express it here on earth. So, that's one significance. Another significance, as we go through that same scripture, you will see that the world was created through him. <laughs> this scripture, that's how you say, you use your words to create things because it's the logos of the world. Don't let me go there. But the world was created through him. And it makes sense that an expressed thought, something that's expressing itself, would create. So I think that's another significance of using the word as an introduction to introduce who Jesus is. Okay? So it communicates. So for me, one of the biggest significance about in the beginning was the word, and they're using the word to introduce God, is the fact that Jesus is the communication of God. He's the expression of God. Amen? So in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Again, John could have easily said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. You know, if John had said that, 
he wouldn't have added to the argument for the Trinity because he would have just said it's the same God. But he said, and the word was with God and the word was God. Just that adding and the word was with God allows you to know that there is the word and there is God and that that word is God. Do you understand? Because take out any of those two things. Either if you take out and the word was God, then you can now you can now support all the different heresies of Jesus. He's a something, something of God. He's a son of God, but he's not God. Or if you now take out and the word was with God, it will now support those ones that believe that it's just one same person. There's no three distinct persons. But by virtue of just putting those two things side by side, and he immediately introduced them one after the other. The word was with God and the word was God. That's one of the most beautiful arguments you could have for the Trinity. Okay? And the word was with God. So we know that Jesus was begotten, not made. The significance of that begotten was, imagine again, let me read the last part. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So Jesus cannot have started to exist when he was born of Mary. Do you understand? Because he was in the beginning with God. Everything that existed before the beginning, of course, is eternal. Because he has no beginning. So it has always existed. It is eternally existing. So that's why we say Jesus was begotten, not made. Because he just came through Mary, but he had always existed. And it's such a remarkable thing that John had this revelation. Such a remarkable thing that I can only imagine how he was when he was writing this epistle. This same Jesus that he put his head on, he's introducing him and saying, this Jesus that we saw, that walked on this earth with us, was in the beginning. Before existence ever came into being, he had always been. This same Jesus... We are going to catch the fire of John in Jesus' name. He has always existed and then came into creation, came into what we call time space through Mary, of course. But he had always existed. And then he reiterated. Let's, let's go to John 17, verse 5. He reiterated when he was, of course, um, recounting Jesus. And Jesus said, um, this was Jesus praying. Let me not read from the beginning where he says, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son. But going to verse 5, he now says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. Let's go to First John 1, 2. 1 John 1-2. Let's read from verse 1. My prayer is for you that you catch this fire. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify it, and we proclaim it to you. The eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us, we proclaim to you. So Jesus has always been. He has always been. 
And that's why he's the word. He now expressed himself in creation through Jesus, son of Mary. The word was God. See, there is no better way to introduce it than this. Because this is not a thing of saying, I'm about to tell you a story. I'll now reach the climax of the story where I'll now tell you, gang, 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 this person was what The best way to introduce is this. See, I want to tell you about something. And what I want to tell you about is an account about God coming to this earth. So that's why it makes sense that he introduces it because this was his introduction. Then he now went to tell the stories of Jesus, the sayings of Jesus, and things like this. But it was important. It was important that to the readers, they understood one thing. That this Jesus that we speak of was not Mahatma Gandhi Pro Max. He was not one other nice leader or whatever the world wants to paint him as. He wasn't... He was God. He is God. It's something that must sink into your subconscious. If you ever find yourself in any place that is preaching Jesus anything other than that. See, forget about it. That's already heresy. That is why Paul will tell you that if we preach, any of us preach any of these things, if we preach what is not the gospel, let us be accursed. And if you preach anything that says that Jesus is not God, it is not the gospel. It is something else. It is Martin Luther King, pro, pro, max. It is anything that tries to paint Christianity or paint Jesus as like, that's why some comparisons, oh, who would you rather meet? Jesus or anything that tries to remove the fact that Jesus is God is not the gospel. Let me just tell you now, the baby, the bathwater, the house and the estate straight away and run away from it. Jesus is God. And it was very important very, very important. And again, remember why one of the things I'm trying to do, we are going to catch the fire that John did. And so if we're going to catch the fire that John did, let's walk in the footsteps. He's painted it. And the first revelation he starts with is the fact that Jesus is God. If you don't get any other thing today, get it that Jesus is God. Be very careful. Very, very careful of anything that will, even if just a little bit, reduce it, run away from it. Amen? Let's look at some more scriptures. Um, John 8, verse 58. So I'll be reading through it so that we can move fast. This is Jesus saying, Very, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. When we get to this scripture, we'll, we'll go through some very interesting things in understanding the context and why they wanted to stone him when he said this. Okay, let's look at another scripture. Um, John 17 verse 5. Again, still, still on that prayer. And it says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Before the world began. Before the world began. Not after the world began and you created me. Before the world began. That same John chapter 5, let's go down to verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world. So let's continue. 
and the word was with God. He was he was with God in the beginning, and then we now start seeing, like I said, the significance of introducing God as the word. The word begins to create. It says, through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Through Him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So you can see that it makes sense that he, he introduces him as something that expresses thoughts because Jesus is the creator of the universe. Let's look at some other scriptures. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Colossians 1 verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Lastly, let's read Hebrews 1 verse 2. Uh, starting verse 1, so that it's not like we're jumping in the middle. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The universe. The entire universe. And then we go into verse 4. In him was life. In our creator was life. And the life was the light of all mankind. Fusanthropos. That's where we got the name. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now let me do a quick clarification. In him was life and, the, and, and that life was the light of all mankind. People can take this to now mean that... And since he created all mankind, right, all mankind already had his light. So we are all good. We are all saved because the light is the light of all mankind. But then he now goes and says something else. And he says, that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I want us, I want us to read one scripture before I explain what I want to explain. Let's go to John 12, verse 46. And he says, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Should stay in darkness. So it's already telling you that outside of him, the world is in darkness. Outside of him, the world is in darkness. Let's also read um, John 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What I want to quickly clarify is, when he says in him was the light, and that light was the light of all mankind, it doesn't mean that all mankind was already in light. But he's trying to tell you that any light that mankind will ever see will come from him so that was why when i was explaining 
earlier that see, you can be gooder than good. You can be you can be the best person. Let's even use love Moses as a because I don't think there's any law or philosophy or anything that in terms of how you want to quantify goodness of a person is that is thicker than the love Moses, at least all 631. I don't know how Confucius is Confucius, thank you. I'm not confused. Or Buddha's own, or whatever number of things they do that you must. I don't think any of them can still match all the different laws of Moses. And what I'm trying to tell you is that even if you meet all of them without blemish, let's even say that your parents have been training you since you were born, that as you came out from the womb, you must, you never lied, you were never impure, you never sinned, you never did what. No matter how good you are, not you. No matter how good people are, the unfortunate thing for them is that they are in darkness. Because the only source of light that mankind can ever have is Jesus. This is again why I'm telling you that. You see the message of Christ. Again, resist any temptation in whatever pill it comes to ever try and add to, remove from, or make it sound deeper, or make it look more beautiful, make it look more inclusive. Resist the urge because that message of Christ, you can't touch it. That is the light of men. That has transforming power for people. See, it's only in retrospect that people can now come and start saying how well Christianity has changed the values of men, how the introduction of Christianity, and by Christianity I mean the message of Christ, right? How it has now helped the world it has made people see people as valuable see it's, we have not even finished understanding the depth of what jesus has come to do for us so it's only in retrospect that we now start saying ha this one too is there ah this one too is there so let me just tell you now the gospel of christ itself let me tell you how powerful it is let's continue reading that scripture it says the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it the darkness cannot overpower it See, that is why if you are in Christ, if you have this light, see, if I'm explaining to you that no matter how good someone is, right, um, if they don't have Christ, they don't have light, they are in darkness. If you're like me, eh, one of the first things that thing will do to you is to, is to first scatter your definition of good and bad. If you're like me, because the first question I ask is, ah, so what is now good? What does he mean? What does he not mean? Why am I saying this? When you understand that the gospel, the message of Christ, Jesus, who is the light of all men, anytime he steps into darkness, that darkness can never overpower it. Darkness can never overcome it. It gives you some kind of security and understanding that no matter what it what happens to me, whether good or bad. And why I'm adding good to it is because even our definitions of good, the way the world is, can, it is, can be proper darkness that people are in. But as long as I am in Christ, no matter where I find myself, darkness can never overpower me. Darkness can never overcome. You need to rate this message of Christ that you have. 
you need to rate it. Like I said, the, the, the goal here is to catch the fire that these apostles had. A message so strong that they were re- willing to hold in their hand like this, that see, you want to collect it for me, kill me first before you can collect it. That is why it will shine in darkness. There is no darkness that it will ever shine that can ever overpower it. And what is the message? That God loved the world and sent his son into this world. His son is God and he came into this world to give us the light of his message. Jesus saw the world. You see it again as we, as we go through it. And he spoke about the darkness and all the things that they are doing. But he kept his, his eyes was focused on what he was going to do, which was to die because he needed to deliver this message. And that message is what you people have. You need to rate it. You need to rate it. Stop rating the gospel of Christ with the measures of success that whatever world philosophies have to make it, make it feel deep or meaning. Look at it, take it for what it is and rate it. That this thing I have, darkness can never overpower me. Darkness can never overpower me. The very best that man had to offer was still darkness. And that was why Jesus had to come to save us. And that is why Jesus said that I have come as a light so that anyone who believes in me will not stay in darkness. So I can tell you for free, the fact that you believed in Jesus, that's already light. You have acquired the best thing you could ever think of acquiring in this life. I promise you. I promise you. That's why Paul will say, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Because if it comes to the most important thing that man can ever accomplish, he has already accomplished it. Do you understand? Rate this gospel that you have. There is nothing. See, don't let the devil use his distraction tactics to be making you feel like, God, when? Oh, this is my life. Oh, this thing that you have, honor it. Honor it and rejoice and thank God that, ah, that this thing that people were looking forward to, just as Hebrews told us, I have it. Like, I actually have the knowledge of Christ, that I have the gospel. This thing that Jesus came to die for and he kept saying, that I have come so that people who believe me will come out of darkness and have light. I now have it. I know. I'm going to rate it. You've, see, let me tell you people for free. You've gotten what you want to get. The only reason why we are not escapists in our theology is because this thing that we have now acquired that has now overwhelmed us is now a compelling force for us to do the will of God here on earth. That is why we are not escapists. You know, I'm sure there are, there are many people that say, like, as they have gotten born again, this world is not my home. In a manner of speaking, I can't blame them. Because just like the different parables we hear, it's, it's just like the kingdom of heaven is like someone who found treasure and did what? Sold all he has for rate what you have. Don't look for anything deeper. Don't look for anything more esoteric. This simple gospel of Christ sit down with it and understand it that an entity that existed before the world came came into this world as jesus and i know him and i believe in him i'm made amen so um next it's not next week because we are going with a timetable but next opportunity we have we'll continue in john like i said we finish when we finish We have a full year ahead of us. But I want us to take some time and pray this morning.
And I just want you to bless God for this message of Christ. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.